0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 17 of our podcast. Glenn and I are joined once again by Jeff Winkler of Winkler Cycling in Boulder, Colorado. You'll recall that Jeff is a Category 1 USAC coach who has over 30 years of experience in bicycle racing. Jeff started racing as a junior athlete and rose up through the ranks to become a professional cyclist racing in the U.S. and in Europe. Now as a coach, Jeff has worked with racers in road, track, cyclocross, and mountain bike disciplines, working with novices to professional athletes. For today's discussion, I thought it would be easy for us to come up with a list of common mistakes made by Masters athletes, but I was wrong. Mistakes per se are contextual, and Masters athletes in particular have a wide variety of goals we settled on discussing a set of areas where mistakes are easy to make for master's athletes in particular as a result of aging or health issues that seem to arise or become more prominent as we get older. The mistake areas we discuss are, one, exercise intensity, getting too little, getting too much. Mistake area number two, getting too little strength, mobility, muscle activation work, essentially the antidote to sitting too much. Mistake area number three was Wrongly buying into the aging story, hint, don't become the bored, boring athlete. And lastly, number four was not being proactive about health and recovery. Another hint is focus on your health, not on recovery tricks. I asked Jeff to join our discussion to gather his advice on how to avoid and how to best think about training challenges for the master's athlete. I think you'll find it interesting and you might even gain a new perspective. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the topic of biggest mistakes made by master's athletes. In this case, I think mostly it'll relate to cyclists or maybe triathletes uh, riding on the bike. And this is a tough topic, really, to hit right because... It's hard to know exactly what constitutes a mistake without knowing what somebody's trying to achieve and things which are commonly done wrong, or maybe even objectively being done in a way that wouldn't be normally recommended. If the person doing it is totally happy with their performance and the way that their athletics is fitting into their life, well, then it's hard to say that it was a mistake. But anyway, that being said, we're going to talk about some mistakes that I've made as a master's athlete, some that I've Perhaps, unfortunately, continue to make and some that I've made in the past, and speak to that as common mistakes. But we believe that these mistakes are relevant to the masters athletes that fall into a range described as maybe at one end, the masters racer who is emphasizing athletic performance, but also interested in not undermining health and wellness. And then at the other end of the spectrum, would be the master's athlete who is emphasizing health and wellness, but also interested in getting better, stronger, faster in his or her sport, whether that's by getting better over time or limiting losses that might be age-related or perhaps being caused by shrinking time availability. But I think that that's a pretty broad range of people that this would apply to. Guys, uh, does that sound like the right range to you?
1: Sounds good to me. I
0: think that's a great idea, Joe. Let's do it.
1: Yep, let's do it.
0: All right. Me as a master's athlete, I'm 58 years old. The mistakes that I'm making or the way that they show up as mistakes for me are going to relate to things which happen to all of us more or less. Looking at my two partners in crime here today who have no gray hair, I'm thinking that they apply to me more than they apply to them. But generally speaking, we all get older, and to some degree or another, our bodies work less well. And these are things which then impact us as athletes. The things that come to my mind as the biggest issues fall into uh, a few categories. And let me just go through the list here and you guys just throw in whatever thoughts you have on top of what I say. So the first one is always for me, the fact that I recover more slowly. I'm sure that somebody could explain why that is true. Partially that's from the fact that I don't sleep as well as I used to, but I'm sure that there's other mechanisms for that, but it's just true. I don't recover as fast as I used to. The second issue relates to more just metabolism, metabolic health. It's easier for me to put on body fat and harder to get rid of it. It makes endurance exercise a really nice fit because it burns a lot of calories. But on the other hand, it becomes a trap for needing to burn those calories in order to defend my diet. Uh, so there's there's issues there. Uh, and I've also got some family history issues related to type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular risk. Uh, And we all worry about brain health and cancer as we get older. The next category falls into falling muscle mass. This is a a common issue for, for Masters athletes and me. I fight it off. I'm not sure how well, but I fight it off with trying to make sure I eat enough protein and, and that sort of thing. But you know, also falling testosterone, that whole testosterone or hormone issues and, uh, and muscle mass issues that become a bigger problem the older we get. Somewhat related to that, is, uh, as you get older, your VO2 max starts falling and have to try to fight that off. Another issue related to age is the elasticity of connective tissue. I definitely am finding that I get stiffer and less flexible, and I have to work on that on a regular basis. And even as I work on it, you know, I have more uh, aches and pains. And related to that would be the last health-related item is, you know, as I look at myself in the mirror, turning sideways to get the least attractive view, I notice my posture is not what it was. And, What do I need to do to get to a healthy posture? Guys, is there anything you'd add to that list of that long list of uh, health issues that affect the uh, master's athlete?
1: I'd say welcome to the aging process here, Joe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I only know of one way to stop it, and that's worse. So I guess I'm just going to have to live with it and, and fight it off as I can. Jeff, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I I think that, you know, as we all go through our lifetime as athletes, um, the concerns that are priorities will change over time. And, uh, you know, maybe as a 20-something, you know, your posture wasn't a problem because you hadn't spent 40 years sitting in a chair yet. And, you know, maybe you had other issues you needed to deal with. Certainly recovery speed wasn't a problem, but maybe, maybe you have a bad diet because you don't see you know, that the consequences of a bad diet right out of the gate. But, you know, so as a master's athlete, you just need to recognize that you aren't the young athlete anymore and that the concerns and the things that need attention and how much attention they need are no longer the same.
0: Well, I'm glad to have you guys advising me here on this list. And uh, hopefully as we go through the mistakes that I'm making or have made in the past, the feedback you guys give to me will be useful to our audience great,
1: looking forward to it
0: so the first one that was definitely true at the beginning of my uh, cycling career was that I was getting too little high intensity work, and in fact, I would say I was getting no high intensity work, I was doing long rides i you know and I was exhausted at the end because I'd be doing lots of climbing and doing long hours and not feeling like I wasn't getting a workout, but none of it was maximizing my heart rate or all the power I could put into the bike for a minute type of a thing. What do you guys think about missing out
1: on high intensity work on the bike? Well, Joe, that's a really good question because a lot of riders are riding their bikes and they They want to go on group rides and ride with their friends. And so the idea of high intensity becomes when they're they're chasing their buddies down or when they're climbing a hill. That's their high intensity work. And for a lot of riders, that's just fine. For myself, obviously, if I'm racing, if I get dropped on a hill, that's not going to work for me. I have to train for that specifically. So high intensity work when I first started bike riding wasn't an issue. It was just my high intensity was the racing itself. Or was you know riding a hill was high intensity? It wasn't a specific type of training skill that I learned. Over time, I've learned that it's different. I've I've seen it from a different perspectives, especially now as a coach. It depends on the rider what their goal is. Jeff, you want to speak to that?
2: Yeah, you know I think um, even if you don't have competitive goals, you you probably should have a, a wide variety of of riding intensity, um, but it doesn't need to be very focused. But if you have event or competitive desires and and those could be formal events or informal events like group rides in your neighborhood you need to tune your time on the bike to the demands of the uh, of the event that you care about and and if your local group ride you know has a bunch of 20 second full blast efforts up little rolling hills then you need that's what you kind of need to prepare for Whereas if you're an ultra marathon guy and your goal is to, you know, do a 500 kilometer time trial or something like that, then high intensity is not really a huge, important part of your repertoire. Uh, I think it's focused on, you know, what you want to do and whether you feel like your performance in those events is what you want it to be at this time. Back at this
0: time, when that was the case, I started riding with a team and would join them on their group rides. And I would just get smashed because of course they would ride hard and I could keep up with them for the normal hard bits. But when the effort would go up just a bit, I didn't have that extra gear to be able to hang with them at that higher effort level for more than like one or two times before I, I was blown. And then the next time they'd go I, don't, I was off the
2: back. And how did it Did it ever get
0: to the point where that didn't happen? Well, it got better when I started riding on the track, which was definitely a cure for not having enough high intensity exercise.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that even if you kept doing those rides, those rides themselves were training, right? And And they were very specific to the demands of the ride that you were doing. And eventually, you would have become more comfortable making those efforts. Now, if you don't have any patience and you want to get there quicker, then you have to practice those on other days, obviously.
1: Yeah, Jeff makes a really good point, too. Um, and that's something I like to stress when I work with athletes, is the fact that sometimes athletes don't want to train, they just want to ride. And if your ride, in a sense, uh, basically accomplished what you want to do, and let's say you're getting dropped on all the little short little climbs, little punchy climbs around here. And you, you do it with them eventually, you'll start staying with them because that, that ability of doing them is the training for that ability. And so it's not necessarily you have to put together a training plan to stay with your buddies just by riding with your buddies. You'll eventually stay with them as you get stronger over time. Like I was saying earlier was that if you're competitive and you want to beat them up the hill, well, then you're going to have to train for that. That's a different animal. So you can draw the distinction between am I competitive um, in terms of I, I want to win competitions or I just want to stay with the group and not get dropped. So- I'm assuming then that
0: there would be some sort of prescription that given a specific situation you guys could give to an athlete where they could, when they're not on that group ride, things that they could do that would accelerate their ability to have that extra gear or that repeatability with that extra gear so that they would not get dropped. And, And ultimately, whether they end up getting dropped and then they have to ride home by themselves or their buddies have to wait for them, not getting
1: dropped would be the goal. I keep it simple. I mean... Let's say there's that hill that you always get dropped on, just that hill. And you go, well, I'll tell you what, go out and ride that hill a couple of times without your buddies by yourself and just see what pace you can ride it at that you can sustain the whole effort and then keep pushing those limits. I mean, that's a zip, simple workout. It's not very, it's not very exacting, but it's just for fun and sense. Okay. I did it. And last week I did it in, in five minutes and now I can do it in you know four and a half minutes. And I can do it in four minutes eventually, and so you're basically setting a certain place, a certain distance of a certain place in, you know in space, like that hill that always you get dropped on, and you just go over and do it and practice on it and it's, it's not as rigorous as having a exact protocol of how many watts and how much power for how long it's a matter of I'm going to challenge that thing and try to get faster on it. It's a simple way of developing a plan or a program to get better at something.
2: Yeah, and I think that also addresses the sort of mental component that's always a piece in this, you know it's like Becoming more familiar with the hill, the nuances of the hill, uh, makes it easier to meter out your effort. You know, when you're in the group, or it just makes you better at it, uh, more familiar with it. But I think from a fitness perspective, everything you do is contributing to your goal. You know, most of the t- most of the reason that someone has trouble sticking when the pace lifts on a climb like that is because they were already going too hard, relatively speaking, right before that. They didn't have, they were already in the red and their mates who were fitter were not as much in the red. So it was just a matter of time before sort of the 800 pound gorilla would get on your back and and you couldn't keep up anymore. But as you ride and the more you ride of all types of intensities, your whole fit the whole fitness curve goes up at all levels, right? And it all becomes easier kind of all at once through that process.
0: Oh, that's an interesting point. I suppose perhaps for each person, it would somewhat depend on, you know, are they an aerobic or anaerobic athlete as to what they would already have? But the point you're making is, especially if this group ride is, you know, longer than 30 minutes, there's more than just the high-end work that's going on here. There's the, the base work. And if their buddies are all doing an endurance pace and I'm doing somewhere between uh, tempo and threshold, well, I'm going to blow eventually. eventually.
1: <laughs> I'm yeah. going to
0: blow. It doesn't matter how much my high-end power is. You know, I could put out 2000 watts in a fresh sprint. It doesn't matter if I can't hang with them when they're just going at an all-day pace.
2: And that's true at the elite level too. It's, you know, the guys who can, it's why elite teams put their little climbing lieutenants on the front and they push a pace that will burn everyone out on aerobic capacity, right? So then it's only the favorites who are left at the end and you don't have the odd guy that has anaerobic capacity that could beat them to the line, right? And so that same function plays out in your local group ride is that if the, pace, if, the, if the pace is too elevated for you aerobically, you will eventually hit the wall, right? You will no longer be able to keep up. And it's not just the pace, the one-minute pace over the climb or the 30-second over the pace that does you in. It's, it's all the rest of the ride beforehand.
0: Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, one of the things that I've always heard, and honestly, it was one of the th- mistakes that I'm sure that I made and probably make, still make. I mean, it's so common in my everyday riding a bike that I, I want to say everybody makes this mistake. You end up riding harder than you intended to when you're not trying to ride hard. You know, you get on Zwift or, you know, where you're just out there looking for a ride and I'm going to keep my heart rate here, but the pace is a little bit too high for that and you your blood gets up and now, it's, you know, you look up and you're doing... 10 or 15 beats a minute faster than you wanted. I mean, it's not that that's a bad. I mean, that's actually good. That's fun. You get a workout doing that. But what I've understood to be true is that if, I'm, if on my easy workouts, I'm doing a little too much, then when it's time for me to get my high-end workout in, or maybe my race, maybe that's my high-end workout, I don't have it. I'm not recovered sufficiently because I was doing too much when I was supposed to be doing easier work. What do you guys think about that?
2: Uh, definitely. I'd say that's not limited to masters. Uh, that is a common error across the board. It's probably something you see most notably, like when someone, uh, an athlete, like sort of becomes elite, you know, progresses and becomes elite, that they actually don't do that anymore. Like when they go out for an easy ride, they have the discipline. To Like if they get passed by somebody or passed by a group, they do not respond, right? Where the typical, uh, maybe weekend warrior or mastered athlete or you know recreational athlete cannot let that go unanswered, right? <laughs> and that's <laughs> both in the real world and on Zwift. And so what that does means is that you ride harder when you're supposed to be riding easy. And then a day comes when you're supposed to be riding very hard but you're a little bit tired because you didn't go easy on the other day. And so now you ride kind of hard on that day too. And then you're like, okay, well, so then all your days just become kind of hard. Right. right. And, and that's not as good right. as a general. Now that's okay. If that's all you want to do, you just want to go out and like run down people who pass you on a particular road or a particular route on Swift. But if you really want to progress, you need to have the discipline to go easy on easy days and go hard on hard days and if you don't or if you're concerned that you cannot let somebody pass you then don't go ride somewhere where that's going to be a temptation (laughs) you know well done (laughs) you know or, or you set yourself a hard limit that says like if you're out out on the real roads and you say well i'm putting it in the small chain ring assuming you don't have a one by and it doesn't come out of the small ring so then you can't respond you know, and I would do that. I would say, you know, a recovery day or a rest day, an easy ride, easy spin. It's like a walk in the park. And so I would stick it in a particular gear and it would never leave that gear.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. I I found a solution to that. Actually, I take the e-bike out on recovery days and no matter how fast I go, I'm still getting a recovery ride. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well,
0: yeah. So that's something I've still got. I still, I don't have that intensity discipline. Although today I did a a Zwift ride and my heart rate for an hour and a half and my heart rate did not go above 100. So that's some pretty good discipline. Yeah, that is good. (laughs) Okay. So a mistake that has not really been a problem for me, but I'll bet you that it happens, especially with uh, the articles that are so prevalent about how, oh, if you don't have a lot of time, then just do high intensity. There's got to be people that are doing too much high intensity. Now, by too much, I'm not sure what that even means. I mean, if they're getting stronger and they're happy with how things are going, then it's not too much, but perhaps it's not ideal or optimal for adaptation. But, you know, maybe they're getting injured. You know, they don't have the durability that comes from more miles. What do you guys think about
1: the idea that if you don't have time, just do high intensity work? Wow. That's a tough one, actually. If you've only got, say, half an hour to work out and you figure, I'll just do high intensity, you still have to have recovery days in there. And a lot of folks don't realize that. A lot of people get in the bike and they put it in the biggest gear and they just mash the pedals for like 20 minutes to a half an hour and they figure they got a great workout. But it's not good for the joints, not good for the body, and it's not really a training workout. It won't develop the cardiovascular system like they want it to. And those have tired muscles and sore joints. So you have to look at it from the perspective of, I see why people would do that because time is a factor and you, they don't have time for a couple of hour endurance ride or even for an hour endurance ride. So they'll just try to make it make it count. But you could take the days you have available and have 30 minutes of intensity riding followed by an easy day when you have a chance to ride the bike for a recovery day. So it's about balance. And I think that the older the athlete is, the more they realize that after a hard Hard, intense day—they're probably going to be suffering from delayed onset muscle soreness. They'll be very sore for a couple of days. And they won't be able to ride. That doesn't work for most people. It's better to do a little bit off the top level of intensity and then have a recovery day when you're taking it easy. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff?
2: Yeah, and, and I agree that it's kind of d- a difficult equation and it's very individual. But yeah, the theory or you know the approach would be kind of like, well, you don't you don't have. Either a big block of time on a single day, and you don't have an aggregate of time over the course of a week to sort of attack volume, if you will, and ride many hours at low intensity, which is a reality. And so, what do you do? Well, the thing is, is is riding super hard all the time is not a substitute. It might be the best, uh, well, it may not even be the best way to deal with the time that you have to train, but. Even though that that we see these headlines that are summaries of studies, but they're just not accurate summaries of them, is that there's no evidence that it replaces or achieves the same adaptations that low intensity does. And so any plan has to have, or any approach should have all of the intensities represented it because they all have impact because the body responds to what you make it do. And so, yes, at the time when you're doing high intensity, you're also sort of addressing the physiological systems that are activated at low intensity, but not without consequence. Mm -hmm. So I would say even somebody who is time crunched, I would, you know, so let's just say they only have six to eight hours a week to be on the bike. I don't think I would recommend that six to eight hours should all be full blast. I would still have a proportion. Now that proportion could be played around with, but there would have to be a proportion of zone two, you know, endurance, aerobic capacity kind of riding, even if you could do more, if you had more time, you know, you might say, well, well, if I go ride for an hour and at heart rate of 120, that's, that's not that stressful. But there's still something going on physiologically, not to mention mentally. You know, you might be more fired up to go hard the next day after a zone two day than you would be after a, a day that you really smashed it. All right, guys. Well, that was great. I think that uh, we hit
0: that high intensity issue from an, a number of different directions and covered that pretty well. The second mistake area falls into the category, I'll just say, cross-training, where I have just been doing cycling. And for a while, I was also going to the gym and lifting weights and doing uh, mobility work in the mornings because learning how to ride in an aerodynamic position was a shock to my back, and I was having to come up with the, the muscle tone needed to do that. But then, as I got comfortable on the bike and I stopped having pain... I stopped doing those things and found here recently that my upper body conditioning, particularly in the back, had atrophied pretty bad. And so I'm, I'm going back into it. But what do you guys think about the mistake of not continually doing some sort of strength training, whether that's body weight, band work, as well as mobility, range of motion, core work related to things like... Making sure that your posture is good, making your muscles balanced, addressing the potential of uh,
1: bone health for cyclists, those kinds of things. It's interesting because, you know, I've been racing bikes for 40 years. So that's all I've been doing. I, I don't like running. I, I have run in the past. I don't like it. And I don't do it because I don't like it. It just like, right? I'd rather ride the bike. When I started speed skating, I was having certain issues that were common because. I've been racing a bike for so long and I didn't do enough walking or enough running to strengthen muscles that I use more in speed skating than I use in cycling. So as a result, it was hurting my my speed skating. But what was interesting is that I also found out that when I was running, there was a time I actually did run, I was running the ascent here in Colorado Springs, my cycling was better. And I think that triathletes learned this a while back between swimming and running and cycling. They get to work all the muscle groups. Cycling is a very limited range. You're sitting on a saddle. You're spinning your legs around a certain limited motion. Whereas running, you know, because the terrain changes, there's quite a bit of variability. You're doing one leg left, like alternate leg, which is working across your hips. Uh, so basically, um, I think running is more intensive as far as working different muscle groups than cycling is. And so I learned that Running is very important to me as a cyclist, but uh, honestly, I don't run still. I don't like running. So that's a deficiency. And for the person who rides a bike, if they love riding their bike, there's nothing wrong with that until they start realizing there's a problem. Like they might be having back problems they're not using the glutes properly, or they might be having you know, hamstring problems because they're not stretching the hams properly. Things of that sort. So I think that, at least from my, in my own personal experience, it's been that when it becomes a problem, well, then it's a problem already. And that means I have to do something else to fix the problem. But in the meantime, if I'm racing okay, I'm having fun doing it, I, I won't do the other sport. And unfortunately, that's just the way I am. I'm focused on the cycling portion of it. Do as I say, not as I do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but in the athletes that I coach, I actually, because I know they're all time limited, they come to me to kind of make themselves better in cycling. And if I see there's a, there's a deficit they have, that, you know, maybe you should be doing some running or some stretching or some weightlifting to correct or to make make this area more, Uh, more effective in what you need to do because you have weaknesses in this area? Well, by all means, yes. And if I can get by without doing it, or if he can get by without doing it, or she can get by without doing it, well, then it's not an issue unless they really want it very bad and they want to win a championship or win the gold medal or something to that effect. Then they're going to have to take the extra effort to accomplish that little piece to get that little deficit kind of corrected or fixed.
2: Yeah, I guess in my, I had the most experience with this actually when I was no longer, like I had a period of time when I was not riding after I retired from racing for 14 years, I didn't ride a bike and going through law school and working as an attorney, you know, I had gained some weight and I was sedentary and I actually did start to feel physically old. And it wasn't because I had a singular activity that, that was making me imbalanced, it's because I had no activity. And at the time, my wife ran a couple yoga studios and I started doing yoga. We all know yoga is great for mobility and stability and a, you know, range of motion. And after not too much time, I genuinely felt like I had gained 10 years back, right, in terms of how I felt overall. It also was part of the reason that I got back into writing is because I felt like you know I needed to get moving again. However, for me, and, and I, I recognize that this is probably just individual to me, is I don't find that writing makes me feel bad bad in double quotes in any particular way. You know, I don't seem to get stiff in, in a particular way, even though it's not a very varied. Uh, movement. But I I recognized as I continue to age that I need to address the parts of my body that typically had never really needed to be addressed. They were just up to the task of maintaining posture or uh, maintaining a platform upon which to sit on the bike and pedal effectively. Where now In order to continue to do that, I probably have to address those areas. And that's going to come from other kinds of movements, maybe targeted movements on the parts of my body that aren't getting direct attention while riding. So I think a a daily routine or, or, you know, five days a week where you rotate through different movements and they don't have to be particularly complicated and they don't actually have to be in the gym You know, you could you just start doing the basic movements of pushing, pressing, and core work, and they will give those parts of the body that are mostly idle some movement, so that they then are happier when you're on the bike, or just happier
0: being a living human being. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I mean i I recommend everybody look in the mirror, turn sideways and if you don't like what you see do something about it i find the stereotypical cyclist their shoulders are rolled forward their back is rounded forward their neck is forward they don't stand up straight like a good soldier
2: anymore and but that's true I, i'll just push back a little bit and say that's true of almost everybody right is that posture is not actually a cyclist posture. That's a sitter's posture, you know? And so if you sit at a desk and you manipulate a mouse, your shoulder comes forward, right? You round your back. Maybe
0: you're right. Cycling didn't cause it, but cycling's not curing it either.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I would make a case that it's better than, if you could spend an hour on the bike, it's better than spending another hour in your desk chair. But you're right. It, it, it You should be doing something else, including not sitting continuously for too long at your desk that may actually do more for your posture than going to the gym you know three days a week for three hours so fair point fair point look in the
0: mirror turn sideways if you don't like how it looks do something about it because you
2: can do something about it it's not aging it's well, it is aging, but, but don't think of it as like, una, you know, inevitable. It's just something that needs particular attention that maybe you just didn't have to do before. It'll make you feel better, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's not, it shouldn't be a hard choice, you know, especially since you probably can do it in a way that doesn't take away from your time riding. You know, you can do it after dark. You can do it in the morning. You get up for five minutes out of every fifty. You know, at your desk, the, it's not hard. It's just a new routine you have to develop, and and you need to recognize that it is something that you must consciously choose to do. It just, It otherwise, it's that's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, Jeff, you make some very good points, and I think it's as as coaches, you, you know, you and I both know that our job is to get people to kind of break free from the, the, what they do usually, and make change in their lifestyle that will improve their health or life in, in whatever may, way it may be, and find creative ways for them to do what they cannot do otherwise on their own. That's why we're coaches. That's why we try to coach people in a certain direction, moving towards a certain level of health or fitness or performance.
0: So related to all of this, things that I've heard over the years relate to balancing out your muscles helping your joints to feel better when they've got muscle tone balanced on them cyclists often find as an example of this next general point I wanted to make that they they don't use their glutes uh, i think that this is also one of those consequences of sitting a lot but if if your glute is your biggest muscle in your body and you're not using it in your sport then that's obviously a mistake so whether it's in a gym or it's just in your living room learning how to activate your muscle your glutes That ought to be a part of your whatever this program is called, strength training or mobility or
1: whatever. Well, I I think what Jeff said earlier about how we sit, we really sit an awful lot. And um, there are particular syndromes, I guess, the one I think about most is lower cross syndrome. And uh, I don't want to go into it now, but basically, it's, it's it's a fact that we sit so much that we have weaknesses and problems in certain muscle groups that affect us on a bicycle, whether we're a runner or whether we're a cyclist. And I think that for me, I know um, one of the key things I need to do is I need to stretch certain muscle groups. Hams are very tight from cycling. And glutes, glute medius, in fact, is tight. And um, if I don't stretch, you know, my IT band, I'm going to have problems in my knees and problems in my hips and my back. When I'm stretched, I am much, much better. I sleep better. I ride better. I have less pain when sitting. And I think it's it's key that I realized I never used to stretch when I was younger. I have to stretch nowadays. So I've added that to my life because I'm healthier as a result and I feel better. And I think for most athletes, if they're having pain or having issues, they want to address them and then figure out, how can I solve this problem in a way, whether it be by stretching, by exercising, by weight training, or strength training, or or maybe not sitting so much.
2: Yeah. And maybe this sort of feeds back into the mistake. Approach here or the theme is that maybe the mistake is chalking that up to an un- inevitable pro or, you know consequence of aging when it's actually you just have to make some changes and move in, a, in ways you didn't used to have to move when you were younger, but it will be okay if you do that
0: <laughs> yeah well in fact i'm ready to use that as a segue into the third mistake that I have made more and more recently, uh, and I'm trying to figure out how to stop making, and with your help, maybe I can, and that is buying into the aging story. (laughs) I have, in the last 10 years, significantly shrunken the scope of my athletic endeavors in an effort to try to stay alive. I've stopped rock climbing, and I've stopped mountaineering, and I've stopped tree skiing. And and these were all things that I did in an effort to not die as I felt like I was getting older. And an accident in these sports becomes a very bad accident. Of course, it has turned out that getting into cycling has sent me to the hospital 10 times more often than any of those other things ever did. But still, you know, I keep thinking and saying out loud even I'm old, I'm getting old, and I can't do things. And I'm pretty sure that that's false. And I'm hurting myself by narrowing my
1: horizons. Well, Joe, I've thought about this a lot, you know, because I'm, I, I turned 66 this year, and I'm still racing, and I still intend to continue racing. But I, I have noticed that as we get older, we get wiser. And so we look at cars differently than we used to when we were younger. You know, I mean, we look at, because we know when we get hurt that we don't heal as fast. And so we're more aware of these things. So I think there's a mental component to it, too, that I don't feel as safe on the roads. Not that the roads are any less safe or any more safe, just because I'm more aware that if a car hits me, it's going to be much worse than if I was 20 years old and a car hit me. You know, I mean, neither one is going to be a good situation either way. And so in some ways, I've kind of, I want to use my cycling to slow down the aging process as i know i'm getting older but it also means i have to take like i said earlier i have to spend more time stretching i have to spend less time sitting i have to spend more time being more mobile and basically if i want to be healthy like i said i always go back to the the world championships in 19 was it 1993 i did it or anyway in in austria and there was a guy that was 96 years old who won his age group 90 plus 96 years old and i thought wow i want to be doing that when i'm 96 and i realize If I kept racing at the level at which I was racing at, I probably wouldn't make it there. So in some sense, I've toned down my racing a little bit so I can go longer at it, if that makes any sense. I don't do certain sports because they're harder to do when you're older. Running is a good example. You know, I don't like doing it. I don't like doing it when I'm older. It's even harder. Uh, But, you know, I need to do some form of exercise in that manner that's bipedal. But basically, cycling is is a nice sport. It's not hard on the body, unless you're on rough roads, but on a smooth road. You know, or non-bumpy road, just pedaling along is actually nice, easy to the body. It's exercise. It's not too dangerous unless you decide to race with a bunch of crazy people. And then at that point, I back out of the race and said, I'm not going to do it. So I I am more aware that I have to be careful because I don't want to get injured. But um, I'm not going to cut back on that, even though I'm aware. I said, but mentally, I know that's a problem. And so therefore, I might decide I might not want to do this or that event because I might be concerned about injury or, or risk of injury.
0: Yeah, but how do you make up for if this occurs to you, but the lack of adventure that comes from just <laughs> doing the same
1: stuff all the time. You know, it's funny. Um, I used to rock climb also. And um, I like rock climbing, but the other parts about rock climbing I don't like. I used to hang glide. I love hang gliding. I still do it But the fact that I don't have a hang glider right now. As I always tell people, um, I didn't do skydiving because it didn't make sense to me that people jumped out of a perfectly normal airplane, so I'd rather fly it. So basically, I mean... I think bike racing in in itself is all the adventure I need. I mean, you know how it goes in a criterium or in a track race. There's plenty of adventure taking place all around you. And that's all the excitement I need. So I don't have to hang glide. I don't have to go rock climbing. You know, if I want variety, bike racing provides the variety I need. So I'm I'm satiated by the variety I get in bike racing.
0: Well, I guess that's all individual. What do you think, Jeff?
2: Well, uh, it, it strikes me that, well, I mean, I'll just say one thing is clearly there are consequences of aging that impact your ability to be active. But the problem, perhaps, it's sort of the quote unquote aging story is if you disconnect that from your actual reality. Right. There's this external story that is old people don't do these things you know you you're just tra- trajectory is towards a lazy boy right or or you just say i'm too old for this shit right that statement which we've all heard and is you know is oft repeated is well are you it, you know you got to ask yourself it's like okay yes i have to limit myself but let's limit myself to my actual limits not to some Some story that that's perpetuated out in in, in society. And so you got to ask yourself is skiing trees. It's like, okay, well, let, let me just say one other thing is that, you know, Glenn's point is like, your how much weight you give the consequences is not really an aging problem. That's just a changing cost-benefit analysis. And, and I don't think that you have to sort of lament that as, as part of being old. It's like, you just don't want those consequences. You're wise enough, you've gone through them enough to know that, hey, I'm willing to forego <laughs> whatever activities that lead to that because I don't want that. You know. But on the other hand, let's like go back to your skiing the trees, is you gotta ask yourself, well, okay, how much has my reaction time and my strength and my abilities declined and has it declined to where I can no longer do that activity, you know, with some, some degree of, of competence, right? Like I'm at risk. I'm really at a different risk profile. Then, then you make the change, but don't just do it in as a speculation, right? Like just sort of have a real sense of like, okay, yeah. Okay. I can't do everything I used to do, but I can still do most of it.
0: Well, surely there's maybe new things that i could do ride the rockies or i mean i know that one of the first things that i did in fact i did it in the first uh 3 weeks of owning my first bicycle i signed up for the triple bypass and man that was an adventure didn't know if i'd get to the end of that thing my legs cramping up so you know i, I think maybe it is just a mindset you're right that
2: there's adventure you can find adventure just look for it. Yeah. Or, or like, I mean, is, is it really a negative consequence of aging if, if like your desire for, ent- for adventure has changed? I mean, you've lived 50, 60 years, you've had a fair amount of adventure. Do you have to ha- continue to have it at the same rate that you did when you're in your 20s? I don't feel that. I don't feel the need to travel like maybe I did when I was younger, but I've also traveled. So I've been to all these places. I just don't feel the need to go back again, right? You know, part of that natural aging process is also honing in and narrowing in on the things that actually make you feel contented (laughs) and just spending more time doing those. And I don't think that's a negative unless you're clinging to some hypothetical concept of, youthful adventure?
0: (laughs) No, I think it's more just getting back to the, the attitude idea. I think it's just because when I was younger, I was very often testing my limits and sometimes finding the limit. And I don't do that anymore. I don't let myself find the limit anymore. And maybe that is it. Maybe I need to pick things where finding my limit doesn't mean I die (laughs) <laughs> uh, but just means I have to call my wife to come get me.
2: Well, when, when you say that, when you say, uh, I pushed the limits or you found the edge or you found your limits, were those limits, the kind that had consequences, right? Like you, you took too big of a cornice jump or you, you know, those trees were not as far apart as you thought when you skied between them. Oh, you know, or is it merely confronting sort of physiological limits that you you know when you've gone too far, but there's no real consequence? And I only use that as a hypothetical because I feel like that's like a process that I've engaged in in my relationship with the bike is is it gives me a tool to encounter my physiological limits and play around in that space in in a nuanced way and those limits have moved around with my aging but the process is no different but I also don't fall off a cliff if I push it too far I you know I'm just tired and I just have to stop or I have to take a rest day or you know or whatever
0: right right
2: okay well that was helpful thank you
0: the last mistake and I guess I'll have to say area relates to and I am doing better at this now, but let's just talk this out. The mistake is not being proactive about recovery and really in, as well as health in a more general sense. I guess another way of saying it that puts a little finer point on it is the mistake of thinking that recovery is something you do after a workout, right? You come home and you get an ice bath or you, you know, you, you know, the old days you'd ice your knees or you use the foam roller or, you know, whatever, you, compression socks, you know, you know, these things that I'm sure that they help, whether it just makes me feel better and that's good enough or it does something to make my body heal faster, whatever. I think the mistake is just the thought that recovery is something you do after your workout as opposed to making yourself a
1: healthier person who recovers better. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it's funny. Um, I remember it's only actually fairly recently that I've really taken up the idea of a quote recovery ride because my recovery rides were always too intense. And that's been a problem as a bike racer for a lot of bike racers, their recovery rides are too hard. And that's why I mentioned earlier, the e-bike was a great tool because I could actually ride, you know, go up the mountains and climb all the hills and still be in recovery the whole time. As regards, you know, recovery as something you do after you get back home. That's part of, I think, I guess, enhancing the recovery process, but I think of the actual ride itself as part of the recovery. You know, where it's, um, I've, I've been there where you've been, Joe, because I know I do a really hard riding and then sit in the in the hot tub or someplace, you know, to get my muscles to kind of just relax again because they were so tight. You know, now I think of after a hard day, I'll get on the bike or I'll get on Zwift and I'll just tool around and just, you know, nice and easy, just just make the legs move. So I'm not so stiff on the day before, kind of thing. So um, I, my recovery, my ideas of recovery have evolved over the years. To I think now I'm, I'm more in line with going out for a nice easy ride, enjoying the scenery, you know, and just tooling along. When the guy goes flying past me, not jumping on their wheel and just kind of riding along. And if I'm on an e bike, I can get on their wheel and chase them down and not even be breathing hard. So that's why I call my e bike my recovery bike because some, for some reason it's it's faux pas for a bike race to be on an e bike. I don't know why, but it seems that way. So,
2: yeah, I guess I, I mean, I'll uh, sort of when you were describing that, I guess you could sort of lump that into sort of this like self-care process that that's fairly popular now. And, and we have all of these tools and techniques that we can have sitting next to our couch as we're watching TV in the evening. And, yeah, I think I think those are are, are good. They probably speed things along, certainly relative to nothing. My own personal experience is that being sedentary or immobile is probably the biggest negative contributor to recovery. And so it feeds into what Glenn was saying. It's like an easy ride is better than a full day off. And if you're trying to achieve some of the other things we talked about is maybe, you know, an easy walk or an easy row on a rowing machine, or a ski ergometer, or whatever, you're getting sort of this other movement at the same time, without imposing much stress. And you keep everything moving. I think that's it's a reality of age is that you do feel the consequences of your activity a a little more acutely than you used to. But at the same time, you lose form quicker and it takes longer to get it back. And so I think probably the answer is just to keep moving, right? But recognize that movement is not equal to high intensity and suffering. You know, sometimes you just move.
0: Yeah, I guess all of that makes sense. I was thinking a little more broadly in terms of what I have done more and more, say, since I turned 40, as... As I have felt like I needed to, I have started to be more aware of what goodness is and tried to get more solid in my implementation of goodness in the areas that help me with recovery. So things like understanding about sleep hygiene so that as my naturally gift from God great ability to sleep through anything wore away to nothing. And I had to learn how to be a good sleeper. I have been able to get better and better uh, at that, even though I still have uh, room for improvement. My diet, rather than thinking that taking vitamins was enough, you know, now I essentially try to eat nothing that I think is going to have an inflammatory effect response in my body or, you know, a metabolic consequence as I have a family history with uh, type 2 diabetes. So the base of the pyramid in terms of the immune system for recovering from exercise, I think is what I'm talking about when I say that I'm trying more and more to be proactive about that, trying to be a, a healthier person who is better at recovery independent of the add-on things like compression socks so that I can keep my my training going.
2: Yeah, clearly we have a lot more choices in in this marketplace than we used to and we hear a lot more messaging that says, "Oh, there the we're all we're all having problems with inflammation or we're having this problem or that problem." And 30, 40 years ago, there was no messaging in that regard, right? You didn't think like, oh, eating this kind of food led to some sort of systemic inflammation. I, I don't have the experience to say whether those are true or not. I, I think that the many things have changed in those thirty years. So you could say, like a well-balanced meal that you ate forty years ago in the food system that existed forty years ago is different than eating that same meal this year because a lot of that is industrial food and is different than, than naturally, the naturally the the more natural options that were available or, or the only thing available. So you do, it's hard to know what those consequences are. There's hidden factors. And the body is is super complex, right? I mean, as much as the medical community understands, there's probably much more they don't understand why it does, why these things work the way they work. But I think that from the perspective of the master's athlete, I mean, just be functional, right? It's like try things. If you notice a positive effect, then make it a part of your routine, right? If if you can no longer eat pizza and ice cream after a ride and recover the same or well by the next day. Then, then it's not an option for you anymore,
0: right? Or a couple of beers.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had problems when I was younger with. I, I stayed away from I, as an athlete. I felt like alcohol definitely was it was negative from a recovery perspective. I could yeah. tell the next day with having one. I could note different body sensations. So, yeah, I mean, but but then again, those are those are conventions of social interaction, right maybe less so in 2020, but you know but if, if you get enjoyment from that process and hey, let's you know having a post ride beer is kind of like ritualistic with with cycling and it's a big part of the culture. if that's satisfying, then you got to ask you gotta weigh the choice, right? You're like social benefit versus, Uh, you're like uncovering every stone so that your body is the temple and you treat it as such. Right.
0: Right. Right.
2: But, but I think you can say that there are real things that have changed as we've aged and you need to be more attentive to some things than you have ever used to be. You know, you ever needed to be before. I mean, that's a, that's just reasonable choices. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. I think related to that, and this is an area where I've have not been very good. But I'm more and more determined to be good at this. And that is just taking care of myself, sort of recognizing that I'm not that same person who I was when I was just healthy all the time. And if I had something funny happen, I could just ignore it because it would turn out to be nothing anyway. So why bother check it out? And it'd go away and I'd be fine. I'm now more determined than ever that I'm getting annual physicals. If I've got some kind of an issue, I'm getting checked out. You know, I just had a, a conversation with a concussion specialist, and I think I've been knocked out at least four times in my life and had my bill rung more times than I could count. And I've never had any kind of lasting damage that I'm aware of. Uh, what's your name again? I'm kidding.
1: <laughs>
0: but, well, what about the next time? I get knocked out. Is that the time where I've got some kind of permanent disability now, or some long, long recovery road that I've got to go down? That's just an example of how I'm. I want to be more attentive to my health than I have in the past.
2: Sure. Um, I mean, you got to. I, I think we we also have to sort of recognize that as we the way the mind works, right? You hear the risks, you hear the messaging around the negative consequences that tends to get elevated in our calculations, right? And maybe appropriately, maybe not. It just seems like a bigger risk, right? And we know from all the literature, humans are pretty horrible at, at risk calculation in general. And so I think that we have to really I mean, you, you have to take it as fact that your body as it ages, those systems are are at greater risk of failure. And and there are indications that, you you know, you need to have those checkups in order to see system status and and if you don't do that, you're being irresponsible, right? And the reason you need to do it is because a lot of those are are treatable, or at least, you know, if not reversible, but you have to take the step. And so you have to do that. But then, you know, maybe beyond that is like, well, do you need to speculate about like, in your example is like, if you the next time you hit your head, is that going to be dramatically different negative scenario than it has been the last four times, right? And is, is that the kind of thing you make life choices about on, on that basis? And, and that's an individual calculation for everyone, obviously. But some things are just going to happen and, and there's no preventing them. And, you know, so you could live your life in avoidance of those things and, and it could be less than if you just said, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm going to do what I can do and control what I can control. And then and, and I'm, otherwise I'm going to live my life.
1: All right. Well, Glenn, I'm shocked you're not talking about AFib. Well, like, I mean, the, the key thing is that I made a lot of mistakes and I paid for them, so to speak. I try to be more careful. And and like, I, I'm more cautious now than I was when I was younger. Um, I used to race uh, like two crits or three crits on Saturday plus a road race on Sunday or vice versa. And I would race Friday nights on top. I was putting it in three or four races a day. Now I only race, I race every 48 hours at the max. I need about 40 hours to recover from a hard exercise or a race, for example. So that's me taking care of myself so I can last to 100.
0: Sure. Plus, you're not going for the sprints. if It's crazy. I've heard you say that oh, many I, times.
1: I like my skin.
0: Yeah. And your brain as well, no doubt. Yeah. Well, guys, <laughs> this has been very helpful to me. I'm sure this will be helpful to our audience. Thanks for your time. All right? Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening into our discussion with Jeff Winkler. You can find Jeff's contact info in the show notes. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.